Okay, welcome to episode three of Cine Lit. Uh, my name is Adam Marsh. I am the cinema programmer at Quad, a independent cinema in Derby. I'm joined by my co-host Rebecca. Hi, I'm the film officer here at Quad. And we are delighted to be joined today by uh, film lecturer David Lester. Yes, hello. Uh, my last appearance here was doing the midweek treat, the introduction to that this last Wednesday. Fantastic. And I'll so. be there again next Wednesday. <laughs> and every Wednesday. Indeed. If we allow him a holiday, maybe he'll have one day off. We don't know yet, but we'll, we'll look into that. But today we're not here to talk about David's midweek treats. We are here to talk about a streetcar named Desire currently getting a re-release into UK cinemas with a restoration by the BFI. So that's um, a perfect opportunity to discuss uh, the film, the play, and the actors involved, some amazing actors involved, and also the controversial director and his uh, history with the Hollywood blacklist and the uh, House of Un-American activities in the 50s. So let's start. Let's, let's start with crack on. Before we start, maybe I should ask you guys a question. Have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? Um, <laughs> no. No, okay. Yeah, let's... I flirted with membership of the Labour Party. <laughs> yeah. that, that might qualify these days. <laughs> yes, yeah, so here we are. We're talking Streetcar Named Desire. Becky, you know much more about this subject than I do. I, for my shame, for my shame, I only saw this film yesterday for the very first time. Yeah, so it's um, not through any real reason. I went through a period in the mid-2000s where I decided I was no longer ever going to watch a classic film on video, DVD, or television. Why? Because they were re-releasing them in cinemas all the time. Wow. Hence, yeah. they are releasing this one now. And I think, well, I'll just wait till it comes on in the cinema. And that works until you get so frustrated that you want to see Casablanca and no one's showing it. And you're like, ah! Yes. So, you know, but, but as a consequence, yeah. I've had a good 10, 15 years where I haven't watched a lot of classics on, on video or DVD. And this is one of the... Uh, Not uh, even Carry On Camping. Oh, well, I've watched Carry On Camping more times than I can remember. <laughs> I mean, everyone has on TV. <laughs> it's, uh, it's punishment on a bank holiday Monday. Yeah. <laughs> Becky, yeah. you're much more familiar with this uh, area than I am. So uh, what, where do you think we should start? Yeah, well, that, it's kind of strange, Adam, that you said about you didn't watch any classic films on video or DVD because you thought it's bound to come into the cinema. I actually discovered Streetcar on DVD. I was a fan of Vivian Lee. I'd seen, obviously, Gone with the Wind comes on every Christmas day, and I was familiar with her work. So I was really excited when I found out that the film was going to be re-released because, actually, this is my favourite Vivian Lee film. So, yeah, I discovered it on DVD, and I've actually always loved, like, stage adaptations on film because it kind of bridges my two loves, film and theatre. And I really like this film, um, and I also think it's quite interesting when you look at particularly the role of Blanche Dubras played by Vivian Lee and what was going on in her life at the time when when this film was was made and then obviously it's an early role of Marlon Brando who I love as well on the waterfront is one of my dad's favorite films so <laughs> I was made to watch that uh, before I watched Streetcar so I always for some reason I always thought that on the waterfront was before but yeah when researching I found out that it actually was afterwards and again that's another Eli Kazan film what, what was your so, first uh, yeah. uh, introduction to Street Cannon Design well, it, were... it would have been on DVD oh, on DVD yeah. yeah I mean I would have been too young when it came out to, to see it at the cinema um, and of course, I mean, I don't think, well, it's been on TV since, but I don't know when the first time it was screened on TV would have been. No, I Pro don't know. Possibly the yeah. 70s. Yeah. But I, yes, I would have seen it on, um, yeah, I probably would have seen it on TV first. Yeah. But yeah. certainly I've, you know, I, I have the DVD now and have watched it again. It's quite a powerful film in the sense of that it, it, 
it's the classic 1950s studio set Hollywood feature. It's still mm. shot in, I think, one standard Academy ratio, one mm-hmm. one three seven yeah. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So you know, it, it has that classic cinema feel to it. But I don't think it feels that visual in the way it's shot. That you're going to lose that much by watching it on DVD. Maybe I don't know. It's difficult to say now. I mean, I I, you know I I still haven't seen it on a big screen, so you know it's uh, I I will when it's when it's released. Yeah, yeah. So I I I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Same for me as well. I I've actually never seen it on the big screen. I've tried to go to. I know that there has been a few cinemas that have released it, um, but I've never had the opportunity to see it on the big screen. I'm not expecting to see necessarily visually be blown away but just sort of to see how it was meant to be seen and you know yeah what is how it was originally shown um is probably more important to me yeah yeah yeah. so so okay going back to the 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 origins of the thing is obviously tennessee williams play obviously it was it it was the one that cemented his reputation after the success of the glass menagerie this is one that established him as a as a one of the leading forces of american uh, theater i guess in the 20th century i mean yeah, he's one of yeah. the, the three or four top American playwrights of the century. But this this play was developed with Elia Kazan, the director of the film, in mind because he directed the very first stage adaptation. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, it's an unusual one because they brought the entire cast over, almost the entire cast <laughs> over from the stage play to the film. Yeah, and I, I think that's quite interesting in the fact that um, they majority of the cast are from a method background from the actor studio which Kazam was one of the co-founders of so it's 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 a strange and unique one in the sense of the theatre production was moved to film and that the origins of the theatre production are, are evident in the film the decision to bring it over is quite uh, unique because obviously a lot of films you think oh the, the theatre production was better or the book was better but it's quite interesting that they took the team that were involved in the theatre production over to the film. Yeah, I mean, I assume that at the time, Elia Kazan didn't necessarily have a reputation in Hollywood. He'd made a few films, uh, but he was probably still more associated with the stage than the screen. Uh, I've seen his first feature, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. Again, a a project which grew from a stage production. Mm. And maybe you have a sense there of an outside world because the the window is being used. It's looking out to the streets of Brooklyn and so on. It doesn't have the power and force uh, that Streetcar and subsequent films have, although the the society is similar. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things I found interesting with with talking about the method method acting is that Vivian Lee, who is not from that background... She was, uh, she was she was in the original London cast of, of Streetcar and as directed by Laurence Olivier, her husband at the time. Mm. She's very much traditional British stage actress, Rada, that kind of background. That's an interesting mix, I guess, with the with the film production. Yeah, I mean obviously she'd 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 been an American before in, in Gone with the Wind mm-hmm. uh, and approved her credentials there. But it's yes, maybe the studio uh, wanted Vivian Lee because she had a name mm-hmm. uh, on screen. The other actors didn't necessarily have one, yeah. although they would have. Been. I mean, was this Marlon Brando's first film? Not his first film, but it's one of his first leading um, roles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, 
Yeah. And he actually actually auditioned for a, a, a there's a screen test of him auditioning for Rebel Without Cars right. in mm. the forties when they were trying to right, get that okay. up and running. Yeah. So that's uh, that's yeah. out there and now in the, the wonders of the of the yeah. modern world where you get twentieth century DVDs and, uh, and and all that hidden footage. You got a screen test of Marlon Brando in forty yeah. seven, I think it was wow. for Rebel Without Cars. Mm. I mean, I don't know what the budget would have been on this film. Well, you know how much faith the, the studio had in Streetcar. As a commercial vehicle, yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess, I guess yeah. Williams as a playwright was was a was a big deal. And the mm. play was a massive success. It ran for like eight hundred productions or mm. something like that. You mm. know, when it, the American one, like three hundred, four hundred, uh, the British one as well. So it was obviously a massive success. Yeah. Um, mm. So I, I bet they would have put on a bit of budget, I because I mean it looks nice. It's, yeah. Set design yes, really yes, good. that's right. Yeah. It's very well lit. Yeah. The film. Yeah. Also, they decided, you know, obviously the play is all on the stage, takes place in the apartment, mm-hmm. but the film version has a few shots and it's sort of the opening shot of the streetcar yeah. in New Orleans, and it kind mm. of New Orleans becomes a character within itself. Which is yes, different to yes, so, yeah. yeah, it does broaden yeah. it out a little yeah. bit, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's let's talk about performances then. So we we, we touched on Vivian Lee. So Vivian Lee, let's very specific connection with her and this role and her real life struggles with mental health issues. Obviously, that mirror the character mm. in the film. Mm. Um, what were they thinking? Casting Vivian Lee, who was obviously struggling with mental health issues, in a role that forced her to go very deep into that performance. Yeah, to be honest, I, they probably weren't aware of the effects mm. of mental health at that time. Um, no, possibly they, not. But I mean, it was a husband who cast her in the role <laughs> on the stage, wasn't it? Yeah, so, but again, yeah. If we, I mean, if we think about the pressure that was Judy Garland was under from the studio, yes. I'm sure that Vivian yeah. Lee would have been under some kind of similar pressure, maybe. Yeah. Uh, you know, she was a star. They wanted her to make money for the studios. Mm. And I don't think they necessarily would have cared too much about the state of her mental health. No, I guess not. I mean, yeah. my, there's a quote from John Gielgud, uh, who was a lifelong friend of Vivian Lee's. He said, Blanche was so very like her in a way. It must have been the most dreadful strain to do it night after night. She would be shaking and white and quite distraught at the end of it. It's because he was mm. in the stage adaptation mm. in London. So yeah. it was obviously something on, on, on the minds of the actors at the time. And then they, they, she still went over and did it in the movies. Yeah, mm. yeah. I was listening to some interviews from Kim Hunter, who plays uh, Stella last night. Um, and she says, you know, even offset, some of her behaviour was a bit strange. You know, she she liked to go out and, and, and have fun and party when, when they weren't on set and things. And there was a few times it was obvious that the role was taking a strain on her health. Mm. I guess it's fascinating yeah. in the sense of that everyone's method acting and the one yes. actress who isn't method actress is probably being more method on this movie yeah. than anybody yeah. else, yeah. you know. But some could argue that that might be some of the problem in the fact that all the other actors were trained in method. They might have learned mm. skills in way to, even though the whole point of method is to, to, to become that character, but they're able to remove it where... Vivian may not have developed those acting skills because she comes from such yeah, a Yeah, also I think it's worth um, mentioning, reminding ourselves that Eli Kazan was a director of actors mm-hmm. and had been for a number of years on the stage. I mean, Marlon Brando said he was the best director he'd worked with. Yeah. Uh, and also I think to, to his credit, Eli Kazan recognised talent in actors. Mm-hmm. He thought Marlon Brando was was, you know, the peak. He just yeah. thought he had, you know, a versatility, a wide range, which he didn't he didn't see in James Dean. He appreciated mm. the talent that James Dean had for certain kinds of roles, but he knew that Marlon Brando would be capable of a wide range, and he saw that in the early days. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, he gets 
an amazing performance out of practically everyone on the yes. set yeah. on Streetcar. Yeah. Um, I guess the one that obviously stands out <laughs> is, is Brando's because yeah. uh, he was fresh and new and he was suddenly a, a, a top 10 Hollywood bankable star after mm. this film. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's talk about a little bit about his performance because it's, 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 it's amazingly layered. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was expecting it to be fairly not one-dimensional, but fairly stagey in the sense of like this is where he is, and he's he's the foil for Vivian Lee. But there's so much to that character. Well, in some ways, he's as disturbed as, as Stella oh, is. Very much yeah. so. Yeah. Well, you know, it's conflicted. Let's yeah. say. Yeah. Mm. Definitely yeah. conflicted. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, and you do have the themes of sex and violence not being separate, being part of the same entity. Mm-hmm. Certainly, yeah. you know, with with um, Brando's. Uh, character standing yeah. i mean you know it's, it's there you know you can see there that uh, that the, you know the conflict is there within him mm. and he's carrying he's carrying out this this battle within himself yeah. yeah and obviously it's affecting his relationship with his wife as well it's spilling over not just within himself but it i mean you know, it's affecting the whole household there yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. it's always on the brink of collapse you do feel you do feel that there's that there's that um mm. At any moment, it, mm. something's going to happen. Something mm. like, that tension is always yeah. in the air. Yeah. With all, with, with definitely with like Blanche and Stanley's characters, there's yeah. just always yeah. something there that's going to explode. Mm. Yeah. There is also, I think, class. Mm. And I mean, the, Elias Kazan was certainly aware of class. I mean, when he he had a scholarship to go to Yale to to yeah. act, and he dropped out because you know he was a poor boy amongst a load of rich kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know he always had this kind of wariness. Of, uh, of of the wealthy classes. I mean, I was just saying this this morning. It's one of those. It's uh, in some ways, it's very much of its time, but in other ways, I can see why the play keeps getting revived mm. and keeps getting revived on the stage and year mm. after year after year because the themes of class structure, the themes of immigration, those kind of mm. themes are, are constantly relevant. Well, mm. sex and violence is very much and sex and violence. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 But what I think makes Vivian Lee and Marlon Brando's performance so good is you can feel that tension. And I mm. think it's more on Brando's part, you know, from the beginning, he kind of is like that irritated thing of like somebody that just like keeps on like nudging you and you're just getting, you can feel the tension to the point of boiling point. I've seen other productions, but the film, I've seen it so many times, but it's still, his performance is brilliant in the sense of he's just so irritating you're like oh you know yeah and he's got me he creates that sort of like mask at the start of the film where he's yeah i've got an associate lawyer friend of mine he's got all these associates that he knows that can help him out with this this and the other Mm. and he's putting on this front and he obviously that that front that mask slowly slips away as the movie goes on you know I mean, who has the power in that household? In you know, in in those in that the, the duration of that play is open to question. Mm. I mean, you know, he's the more volatile, the more forceful one, but that doesn't necessarily suggest that he is someone who is controlling, yeah, able to control. Yeah, and he's a very vulnerable character, but I kind of feel like he has to control that flat because that's the only part of his life he can control, and the create an illusion in that flat. Like as soon as he leaves for work. I feel he feels suppressed so it's kind of like he comes back from that su- suppressed situation into the flat and and, and in return suppresses the king Stella the king of his own domain as he as he mentioned yeah. in the plays he's yeah. the king isn't yeah. he yeah. Um, I, I, I found it fascinating when I was reading about this this morning that um, originally Tennessee Williams envisaged Stanley as a much older character 
and when they obviously because the film and the play were so connected when they cast Marlon Brando it changed the play and it became less about a vicious old man bitter at the world and it became more about the callousness of youth and and yeah. that those kind of themes which I found fascinating that it, it wasn't is. there in the original yeah. version it must be better as it as oh, I, I think so absolutely yeah. I think, and Brando obviously had a massive role in shaping mm. that play mm. which is again the, the alignment yeah. of the film and the, the play and, 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 and the American culture yeah design. and he has that energy that in, mm. you know, in a reserve of energy which is always desperate to express itself yeah. which is obviously um, suitable for someone of his age mm. Mm. Uh, I thought Kim Hunter's performance was exceptional and, and quietly exceptional in the sense mm. that because she in, in some ways is the only sane character mm. in 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 that room for many of the time she brings a balance to uh blanche and uh, and stanley's characters uh, mm. i thought it was a remarkable performance really yes it is yeah, yeah. and we recognize that you know when stanley's calling out to her desperately mm. is one moment maybe of emotional honesty of uh, you do sense a genuine attraction there and a genuine need on the part of Stanley. Yeah. No, uh, and to some extent then, in that situation at least, the Kim Hunter character has the power. Mm, no, absolutely. I think I think that then, when you were saying who has the power, I think in many ways Stella does have that power. She's got the power over her sister in mm. many ways, despite mm. her being the younger sister. She's got the power over Stanley for, for what we've just been talking about. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's an interesting role that easily can get overlooked, mm. I think, in the mm. more showy... Um, Mm, that's what I would say as well, mm. in the sense of you, yeah, you've got to acknowledge that the that um, Brando and Lee's performances are so good because they're supported by Hunter's performance, and you know the more subtle and, like you said, the more well, maybe sympathetic sense, characters yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. 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 the Carl Morden character as well. They're both, you know, quite sympathetic. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an interesting role. I, mean, I, 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 I only only know Carl Morden from. Hit, hit playing gangsters basically, you know, so, and seeing him in that set quite a sensitive role is quite a. Quite it, a where does it very, very well? Very, very, it's very well, attractive yeah. performance. Yeah, no, it's the, yeah, the conflicts he faces in that movie are very realistic, real of the time, realistic uh, problems that he's facing. And he's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, how old do we think Blanche is? Because we had this conversation yes. this morning, <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I think it's supposed to be. She's supposed to be in her thirties, so obviously way past her prime. Way put her out to pasture, send her yeah. to the old folks home. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. I guess when when we recast this movie in later generations, they're definitely playing her older now. Yeah, I mean, there was the recent stage production that which was you know, broadcast the cinemas, which had uh, Gillian Anderson yeah. in that part. Uh, someone probably, what, she, I don't know, she had been in her 40s now? Gillian Anderson, I guess, 40s. Yeah, I mean, interestingly, yeah. I was watching uh, uh, recently her performance in Great Expectations, mm -hmm. which she did for TV, as Miss Havisham. She was she initially plays it as a very, you know, girly character. But as the as she ages, it, she becomes, well, more, more brittle mm. um, and really shows her age. In a very effective way, yeah, yeah. Um, and I felt when, I, as I remember, when I saw it, the broadcast in cinema with her performance, there was a sense there that she here was somebody who's clearly beautiful, but she, but she is of her age. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you yeah. don't. You, it doesn't seem that they're. I guess they've moved in with with, with society's science being 
36 years old or whatever yeah. Blanche is supposed yeah. to be in the 50s yeah. version is not the death sentence they're making out <laughs> no. nowadays. I don't think it was a death sentence back then either, but that's that's the way Hollywood pitched it, definitely. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah so interesting. Interesting this time changes. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have different interpretations of that. Let's move on to Elia Kazan, because Elia Kazan had an interesting 1950s um, <laughs> as a decade went on. He was involved in the... He was classified as a friendly witness for the uh, House of Un-American Activities, um, Red Menace, Red Hunt, uh, through Hollywood. Um, how do we think that affected his career? Well, I mean, positively, in, in conventional yeah. terms, he was very friendly for the, you know, the studios, had no problem, mm, obviously, yeah. uh, in, uh, hiring him for future projects. Yeah. And also, you know, he claims that uh, because he'd, he'd um, uh, named names, uh, it improved the quality of his filmmaking. Which is um, well, that's a subjective view. That's or, a bold claim. The, it is <laughs> yeah, a bold yeah, yeah. claim, um, and it's all. It could, it could be read as a defensive one. Possibly, um, yeah, yeah. it's no justification. Um, and he never apologised, and he never said that he was coerced. You know, people were offering him uh, kind of a, 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 a way out, yeah. uh, a way of abandoning his his previous stance, but he never took it. No. And of course, he was on, he was honoured with a lifetime. Oscar at the uh, at the end of his life, yeah. very controversial at the time. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of uh, half the room stood up and applauded, and half people mm. refused yeah. to stand yeah. in the seat. Yeah. So it's yeah. a it's still a contentious issue. I guess I guess the one thing I'm looking at it, it's all very well looking at it from the hindsight of history and saying, oh, why didn't you not name names and and, and be blacklisted yourself? Uh, yes, I mean he would have been blacklisted. He would have been. I mean, yeah, you know, he'd been a member of the Communist Party. Exactly. Was, yeah. he, Eighteen months he was there. He, apparently, he he withdrew from the Communist Party because the theatre group he was working with, which had Lee Strasbourg as part of it, uh, was being taken over by the Communists. He he suggested. Yeah. And uh, that probably stayed in his mind. That you know, maybe he felt that he'd been betrayed by communists, okay. by you know the Communist Party of America, and maybe he felt that therefore he was justified in making his opposition public. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, who knows what his motivation was for this? No. Apart from the fact that he, you know, he had to do something; otherwise, he would have been blacklisted. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think I think maybe the it's all very well to say why didn't you do that, but in, in the in the atmosphere of paranoia and and, and witch hunting. Uh, that was going on in the 1950s amongst this, amongst Hollywood. Mm. It's very easy to say, well, you should have done this, but when I actually faced it, it's meant like, well, I can't work, I can't feed my mm. family, I can't... Da, da, da. Mm. There is there's a slight amount of sympathy uh, that in the, it must have been a very difficult decision from anybody who, who gave testimony mm. during that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay, going into the Blacklist might be a, a, a future, <laughs> future <laughs> podcast. Yeah, but... I think as well it's difficult to uh, separate art to the person, you know, in the sense mm. of I think with the Lifetime Achievement Award, I think they're more looking at the side of him on the filmmaking side and not taking it. Sure. You know, I mean, there are some, know, I mean, using a, a, a flimsy yeah. parallel maybe. We could talk about Clint Eastwood now. We know what Clint Eastwood's politics are like. When we see his films, some of his films, uh, it's very difficult, I, for me anyway, not to think about his political background and how that's affecting his attitude towards the characters that he's portraying. Yeah. Yeah. Interestingly, I think they're more nuanced now than they would have been, say, 20, 30 years ago when he was, uh, you know, directing. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And I think it's different between having certain politics to actually giving names of other people. Is well, yes. that's I mean that's the thing. Yeah. Is obviously like 
he was in, as involved in the actual studio. He was involved in bringing the stage play to the, to, to, to relevance, bringing the film to uh, of Streetcar mm. to a wide audience. And one of his cast members was blacklisted. Yeah, mm, you yeah. know, uh, during that period, Kim Hunter yeah. did not really work. Yeah, but much of the mm, it became mm. very apparent within the, uh, a couple of years after after she'd done Streetcar and was nominated for an Oscar. Mm. That she won, yeah. won an Oscar, didn't she? Yeah, she yeah. won it. She yeah. won the Oscar. Oh, and, best supporting you know, actress. Yeah, so yeah. it became very apparent in the, in the in the subsequent years after that that she was blacklisted, mm. and she yeah. um, she said she did not recognize it at the time, but it was like slowly yeah. the doors started closing yeah. for her until right up until the late sixties when she did um, Planet of the Apes. Yes. I guess when she started to come right. back, and, and, yeah. and also Hollywood was being a bit more relaxed on bringing some of those blacklisted actors back. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's interesting from that point of view that. He must have had a close relationship with her. Mm. Yeah. So it's not just shopping yeah. random people; yeah. it's shopping your friends, yeah. your colleagues. Mm. You, you know, it's, that's yeah. that's a yeah. fascinating, difficult yeah. <laughs> thing. Yeah. To, yeah. I think it's more the betrayal. It's different. You can have one certain opinion or something, but it's the fact that you're actually telling all these people. Mm. I think it's tempting to get the view after Streetcar that he knew exactly what kind of films he wanted to make, mm. Um, mm. and. He, he, I, he, I get the sense that he was so focused on his projects that he kind of blanked out what was going on politically outside. I mean, that's not to say that his films are not politically engaged. They, 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 they were, and they continued to be so throughout the rest of, the, of that decade and, and beyond. Uh, the nature, of the, the subject matter of his films didn't necessarily change. He would work with Tennessee Williams again on Baby yeah. Doll, for instance. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was adapting John Steinbeck uh, and so on with East of Eden. Mm. Uh, so... The, the, the politics, uh, the confrontational politics are still there in the films that he was going to make afterwards in On the Waterfront, uh, even the politics in something like East of Eden, mm. uh, they're, they're still there and they're still, they're, they're still nuanced. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, these are weighty projects, really. Mm-hmm. So what do we think is the lasting legacy of, of Streetcar Named Desire? Obviously it's been... The theatre production is probably though we're still doing theatre productions long after we're all dead <laughs> of this of, of, of this play. But what about the film in specific? Has it had an impact? I think more, yeah, with Brando's performance. I think when you think of Streetcar, you think of the the, the scene where um, Brando's uh, Stanley shouts up to Stella yeah. uh, up yeah. the staircase, and that I think will 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 always be present in a uh, popular. Culture. Yeah, that's a bit yeah. problematic, though, isn't it? Really, because it's setting it in stone and saying, "I'm I'm looking at this man at this age at the, uh, in yeah. that in that year." If we're seeing it just as a kind of museum piece then the, 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 the work itself is not having any future life. And clearly, it's, it does continue to have a, a future life. The fact that it was a stage presentation, which was put on the screen, you know, we're thinking things like Fences more recently. Mm. It's a similar kind of setup. You know, you're getting a domestic... It's something which came from the stage and has been turned into a film. Um, film, I think, sometimes can, can give an added power mm. because cinema does that. You're in the dark, there's a huge face on the screen. You know, you can't get away from it. You know, the power of cinema is there. Yeah, and it's there forever. It's it's yeah. accessible, you know, which is why there's a difference between theatre and film. Yeah, you know, and also I think if, if a young person, you know, a teenager, uh, saw a streetcar for the first time, uh, I think they would be quite impressed. And that's a wonderful way to, yeah. way, way to end the podcast on. Uh, thank you so much, David, for coming for this. And we will be back next month where we'll be discussing the history and the legacy of James Bond.